What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of Two Men in a Meeting. My name's Chap, and I'm an alcoholic. My name is Russ, and I am an alcoholic. Uh, this podcast is going to be a little bit of a wild ride for us. We're going to talk about what the last couple of months of my life looked like, what the last 10 months of Russ's life has looked like, and what life is going to look like moving forward. So, that being said, let's, uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, do you come with a topic today? Yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna jump right into surrender. Um, it's a big problem for me, always has been. Um, but I'm just gonna talk a little bit about what surrender looked like in my life. Um, so my clean date right now, um, I hope to keep it, is April 13th of 2020. Or no, the 10th, my bad. The 13th is when I got entered into rehab. Um, so just a little backstory, just a little bit. Um, I got arrested yet again. Um, this has been a long time coming. I actually stayed out of jail for a couple of years. Um, got arrested again and I was just sitting in the jail cell, um, extremely intoxicated. Uh, it was really bad. I did a hit and run, um, got a bunch of charges and stuff like that. So... I, uh, I called my parents, um, obviously, because I'm dead broke. I spent everything I had on um, alcohol. And I was like, yo, I need to go to rehab. Um, it's just, uh, it got out of control. So that was the first moment um, of surrender that I had was that, you know, I can't manage anything in my life. Um, and it, it just got completely out of control. <laughs> So that was the first moment, and I thought like that would, you know, that's all good and stuff like that. Um, yay, Russ. Go, Russ. That's awesome. Um, but it's a lot deeper than that, too. Um, once I got to uh, rehab, like my whole life, I always tried to fit in with every situation um, and with other people, and I would lie and lie and lie. And, you know, I didn't want anybody to know who I really was, so... A big uh, turning point for me with surrender was getting honest with somebody else like Chap um, and uh, the people around me. So that was a, uh, a big turning point for me also. Um, and also being comfortable with who I am. Uh, always been really insecure about what I look like, um, you know, my appearance. I want to appear beautiful to the outer world, but I feel so shitty on the inside. Um, so I always focused on that, and I don't know, another point of surrender was, like, I was finally able to wear, like, I know it sounds silly and it's something small, but I was finally able to wear, like, tank tops and stuff like that around people, um, and it's just like, you know, I'm me, I can't do anything about it, uh, this is who I am, this is what I am, and, uh, this is how it's gonna be, so I had to just surrender to the fact that I am who I am, and I got to love myself, you know, because if I don't love myself, then I can't love somebody else. Um, so surrender's been very difficult for me uh, throughout my whole life. I never wanted to surrender to anything because I thought it was a sign of weakness. Um, but it turns out when you surrender, you gain strength. And I never would uh, put those two together. Um, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's been pretty cool. Um, got a text message. Uh, <laughs> it's been pretty cool, uh, surrendering and like following my sponsor's directions and everything like that. 
Um, and, you know, I got, uh, what's today, the 6th, I got 10 months and 4 days, and uh, God willing, I have 10 months and 4 days, um, but I just got to, you know, stick around people like you, um, who are like-minded like me and want to keep on doing this, uh, but that's just a little bit about me, and that's what surrender kind of looked like for me. Thanks, Jeff. Chris, appreciate that. Yeah, um, surrender for me was... The most difficult part was probably accepting the fact that there was no chance that I was going to be able to do anything by myself. For sure. Like, I thought that no matter what situation I got myself into, like, I was going to be able to find a way out. And I wasn't going to surrender to anybody else. No one else was going to be able to tell Chap how to, how to get better. And when I realized that my life was going south, you know, I kind of just stopped caring about it. I, instead of surrendering to a program, I surrendered to my disease and decided that that's how my life was going to go and I was just going to ride it out until you know it's dramatic and and like scary but I was just going to ride it out until it killed me like there there wasn't there wasn't another another path for me besides partying throwing shit up my nose and throwing back a bottle that there that's the way that my life was going to look and I thought it was fun and there was, there was no chance that somebody or something was more powerful than I was, you know. And keep in mind, like at this point, I'm waking up naked in a Wendy's, and I'm like, "Yo, I'm, I got it all figured out. Don't worry, like chap, chap can figure, chap can figure this out." And it was hard, man. Like I didn't really surrender until I was forced to. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I had a lot of, a lot of really great people in my life that ended up getting to the point where they just had to tell me like, yo chap, I can't do it with you anymore. Like there were, there were a lot of friends of mine that, that I probably won't have anymore because of the fact that I refused to surrender when they would encourage me to, you know, like, you know, you know, you fucked up bad when your drug dealer is asking you how you're doing. (laughs) Like, yeah, if you're okay. Yeah. You need to chill out. Yeah. It's, uh, it was hard for me, you know. It was actually my uh, my sober date's my dad's birthday. Was yeah. so it's the it's the day after my dad's birthday. Was uh, my dad and my mom are, haven't really been a been a huge part of my life for for the last year, and that's that's all you know on me. Uh, I just continued to push them away. I tried to get sober uh, two years ago, and. I wasn't willing to, to give myself over. I wasn't willing to practice a program. I wasn't willing to take suggestions. And I was going to do it my way. I went to treatment for like nine days, got out, uh, held my own for like a month. And eventually, like, it just, just fizzled out. And I would say, like, the first real move of surrender that I made wasn't even going to treatment. Because when I went to treatment, I was there for 30 days at Cumberland Heights, and I still had the idea that I was going to do it my way when I got out. I still had that feeling of like, I've got enough knowledge now. I can get out. I can figure out how to do this thing. I just needed to come restart my life for 30 days, and, and it's all going to be fine. Surrender really didn't look like, surrender didn't really come into my life until I took that first suggestion mm-hmm. of uh, going to Stillwaters. That was probably the first time that I really, really took something and ran with it as a, 
as a full full surrender because I had no desire to do anything more than 30 days. You know, obviously at first I didn't have a desire to do 30 days at all. Yeah. Um, I was gonna I was gonna stay out and, and ride this wave, but when I was sitting there at Cumberland Heights and I was saying, you know, oh I'm, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna work on God's will. You know, whatever He has for me is is what's is what it's gonna be. And then what he put in front of me was going to Stillwaters, and I said, fuck that. You know, the first thing that I did was I turned around, I took my parents off of my, uh, off my releases so they couldn't see, you know, what I was going to be doing, and I was going to make up some lie about my aftercare plan and not go do that. But as soon as I, uh, as soon as I said that, you know, it kind of clicked in my brain that I was probably doing the wrong thing. And at that point is when I folded and said, uh, said, let's go. And I went out there and that was probably, I haven't made a lot of great decisions in my life. And I would like to say that that decision wasn't necessarily made by me. It was put in front of me by, by my higher power. And I was kind of forced upon it, but it was probably the, the first good decision that I made in years. But it, it took, it took a lot of being beat down. It took a lot of days waking up with no idea where I was, no idea who I was with, uh, before I could really fold over and say, say that I gave up and uh, and surrender myself over. So that's kind of what it looked like for me. Yeah, one thing that I was thinking about um, that I I truly am grateful for is on the day I got six months, uh, we had, you know, we had chores at Stillwaters and everything. And uh, at that point, I wasn't having to do chores because I was in a different program. Um, But I was still doing them because I was willing to do uh, what I felt like I had to do. And I was sweeping leaves off the driveway in the rain at like six o'clock in the morning. And... I don't, it wasn't like raining hard or anything like that, but that's a that's a moment that I always hold on to, and that's like the type of surrender that I want to have um, throughout the rest of my recovery. Um, I, don't, I always think about that, like I was really really in need of something, like bad. I needed something other than what I'm used to, um, you know, because like you said, I'll wake up butt naked at a Wendy's or something like that. Um, just <laughs> one of my buddy's moms woke me up beating me with a broom because I passed out downstairs butt naked in her house. But you had it all figured out. But I had it all figured out. Like, <laughs> nothing was wrong with me, you know. Um, so I hold little little moments like that that I got at Stillwater's uh, dear in my heart. And surrender is difficult, Um for everybody, you know, because nobody wants to think that they have absolutely no power over what they do and how they do it. Um, but it's just as simple as one of the counselors asked me one time, he was like, how many times have you had one beer? And I was like, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, this one time uh, when I was in Memphis. He's like, oh, really? Tell me about it. I was like, well, I was doing a bunch of coke. (laughs) (laughs) And And I couldn't drink because my throat was so clogged up. You know, it's like things like that that I think uh, that I associate with that. Um, But I don't know. It's uh, it's been a cool process so far. And uh, I don't know. I'm glad that we're doing this because there's always people out there in need. 
to hear, especially I'm 22, I turned 23 in May. Um, somebody so young that's going through this, you know, like I started getting sober at 21, and it it's rough, honestly, you know, because I'm still not good with interacting with people, like whatsoever. Like when we went out to dinner, you know, and there's like people around me and I'm just like scarfing down food as fast as I can because I don't want to have my mouth open to be able to talk. Like uh, it's it's difficult, definitely, but I just got to surrender to the fact that that's what it's going to be like for a little bit until I learn how to have conversations with people. And especially, you know, with being so young and trying to go on dates and things like that, like it's always... Your first date's always like, let's go get a couple drinks, get a little lubricated, and then we can, you know, talk better that way. Um, but I just got to I gotta do it a different way, you know. And that's one thing that this is helping me with, was I was extremely nervous starting this. Because I'm like, oh, God, I'm, like, shaking over here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I really don't want people to, like, hate what I say and all this, and I don't want to be judged. Um, all that classy, classy stuff, or classic. See, I'm still nervous. I can't even talk right. Um, but I don't know. I'm glad we started this because hopefully I can help at least one person. If I help one person from saying all this stuff, then it's worth it, you know? I feel that. It was like, the concept of surrender was always, like, that word, because of, like, how big my ego is and how, like, how much pride I have, like, hurts me. Mm-hmm. to think about the fact that like I'm giving up or whatever and something that uh, this tech had at Cumberland said raised he was like man like surrendering just means you're coming over to the winning side he was like you're not centering you don't lose your battle with addiction when you decide to go start a program like yep. that's taking that first step towards winning your battle yep. you're I don't I can't think of a time that I was in active addiction when I was winning like that, I thought I was. Yeah, I thought I was. I thought my life was the shit. You know, I was burning and turning, you know, fucking flipping cups and flipping women like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that was life. That was life. And, and I, thought, I, I thought that was the shit. I thought that was so fucking cool. And, like, the shit that people didn't see was, like, I have 35, 40 people in my apartment and then two 30-year-olds around and it's, like, I'm in my bed crying because I want to get better, you know? And it's like, I'd wake up in the morning and I would still think that I was winning. And I didn't, I don't think I really felt like I was, uh, like I was winning until probably this week, you know? Yeah. Like it felt... There were times when like it felt good and I felt like I was doing the right thing in uh in these first couple of months, but I wouldn't say I really felt like I was winning until I had a really good phone call um with a guy yesterday and got honest with him and I told him where I was at. I told him that I was working a program and he pretty much said to me, "Bro, I've been waiting for you to call and tell me this." Mm. Like I've seen this I've seen like the struggle that you've been going through for the last couple of years and I couldn't extend like an arm to you because you were such a liability that like I couldn't work with you. Yep. But then yesterday to have him say like, I've been waiting for you to grow up. I've been waiting for you 
to do this and I've been thinking about you like worried and now to see where you're at and the fact that like you're willing to like keep your head down and just keep chugging along on this like that's probably where uh where I really first felt like I was winning so so that's that's another thing um is we always like to think that nobody knows you know like oh I'm hiding it so well um but when you're the one at the party, like, you know, everybody walks around with like a 12 pack or something and I got like a 30 rack of beer and a fifth of liquor in the other hand and both of them are empty in like three hours. You know, you think people don't notice. And when my mom first came and saw me in rehab, um, I made her like coffee cakes and things like that because I love to bake. So I made her some coffee cakes and like a key lime pie and she was like taking pictures of me and stuff. She was telling me about her posting it on Facebook. And I started to get mad for a minute, and then I talked to my sponsor about it, and he was like, if that's what makes her happy, who are you to change that? You know, that's what makes her happy. And I was like, and then I, I asked her uh, the next day, I was like, so what did everybody say? And she was like, oh, there's so many people that are talking about how proud they are of you. Like, all the, and I'm like, okay, well, everybody already knew. I texted one of my best friends, uh, Marcus. He's been one of my best friends for years. Um, and I was like, yo, I'm getting out of rehab tomorrow. Um, I've been here for nine and a half months. Like, I just want to let you know that I'm good. I wasn't ghosting you or anything. Just gotten a bad predicament. And he sent back, he was like, I've literally been waiting on this for three years. Like, been waiting on this moment to hear that you're sober and doing better. Because he saw me at my worst. Even his dad with, like, my music and stuff, he was like, you know, Russ would be a really good musician if he could stay out of that bottle. And it's things like that that I don't recognize. Like, I think that I can hide it so well, but literally everybody knew, you know? Like that one time I asked this bartender out, and she was like, why would I want to go out with you? You're nothing but a drunk. And I'm like, oh, me? A drunk? Are you kidding me? Um, And, you know, I spent like $350 on fucking vodka and Red Bulls and blacked out and got kicked out of the bar that night. My mom's, like, picking me up at 3 o'clock in the morning when it's shut down, and I'm, like, leaned over against a post, like, She's like, you're a fucking mess. Yeah, man. And it's like, I thought thought everyone thought that I just had to pee a lot. I'd go to the bathroom, like, every 30 minutes. Like, come on. Turns out I don't pee that much. (laughs) Turns out I don't pee that (laughs) much. Chap's got a problem. Chap's got a drug problem. Like, (laughs) I thought that I was so slick about it and that people had, had no idea that I was struggling. Like, I really believed that people thought my life was good. Yeah. And it's like that that delusion that I was living in haunts me, like, a lot. You know, I had that old podcast. Uh, we released one episode, and it was like, it was just my life was a mess. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know what to do. And at the end of the day, I was, like, crying for help. And I was like, this is, this is where my life is, and... I figured if I could make a little bit of money off of it or something like that, the more people that I could get to laugh at my life, the better my life was. Yeah, and the more if, justified it was. If I make them laugh at it, then they can't laugh at me about right. it. And that's how I always did things. I would always say negative things about myself to other people before they could say them to me. And like on the inside, that obviously hurt me severely. But I didn't want to hear what they had to say out of their mouth. I wanted to say it so they, you know, we could laugh about it. Ha, ha, ha. Right, and it comes off to them like you're being comfortable with yourself. And it's like, oh, he can laugh at himself. Like, he knows how fucked up it is. It's like, yeah, but I I need to do that because if you say it, 
Like, I won't uh, stop thinking about it for yeah, a long time. For a long time. Like, it, uh, it was crazy. And, like, talking about that podcast, like, my parents listened to it. And, like, my parents are reaching out to me. And they're, like, you know, all upset. And I'm sitting there justifying it. Like, you know, oh, it's all good. You know, no one, nobody knows. It's, uh, you guys are all. I love how when people would know and they would talk to me about it, it was, they were making it up. Yeah. It was like, how, how do you not see like how good my life is? Yeah. You know? Are you kidding me? Look who I am. Right. Like, exactly. It's like, look, look at all that I've done. And one then I thing go back I was, and I look at all that I've done and man, I did a lot of bad shit. Yeah. One thing I was just thinking about is last time I tried to do a podcast, me and my, uh, me and my buddy were doing it. We were just going to, you know, very controversial kind of just a funny podcast and uh, say a bunch of stupid shit. And so we recorded, and we recorded for like an hour and a half. And I went back, obviously I was drinking. Um, I went back the next day and watched it. And in that hour and a half, he had like three beers. And I drank the rest of the 30 rack and a half a fifth of liquor. In that hour and a half, you know. And I was like, ooh. And you can tell when I'm starting like halfway through it. It's like, Russ is intoxicated. Like, (laughs) starting to say some weird shit, man. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, sobriety's dope. It really is. And I'm really happy I'm in it. Um, like I got my first sponsee the other day. Well, I had one, but he called me one day and never called me again. And then I'm like, oh, well, something's wrong with me. Um, you know, he must not like me, <laughs> you know, like that stroking the pity dick. Right. Um, but I got this, uh, he's 25 years old. Um, he's at Cumberland right now. Um, and he called me the other day and I was sitting on the toilet, you know, and I answered my phone. I'm like, yo, what's up? We started talking, kept on talking and talking. And, uh, he was like, you know, they've given me like two or three sponsors and I wasn't clicking with them. And we started talking about being young and recovery and everything. And he asked me what I did for work and I asked him and it turns out that we do the exact same line of work. You know, we're both young. We like the same drugs. We He doesn't drink like I did, but he liked the same drugs I did. Um, and it was really cool to hear him say, like, I can relate to you, you know? And I was like, damn, that's fucking dope. You know, somebody, like, relates to me, little old me. Um, and it was just, I don't know, it was cool. And this chick that I knew in high school, she, uh, she got 60 days the other day, like, out of nowhere. I never even knew that she was trying to get sober or anything. It's just cool to see things like that, and she's young. Um, so, I mean, I encourage anybody, if if shit's getting out of hand, man, just reach out for help, because that was the hardest thing for me, was being like, yo, I am in need of help. I didn't want to admit it whatsoever, because like you said, I wanted to present to the world my outer self, my the best side of me, and it talks about it in the book. Um, you know, and they have that story in the back that's the two-sided coin. You know, to to everybody this way, I'll present this Russ, this amazing, making music, doing, going traveling, you know, making money, doing all this. But when the side I'm looking at is the ugly, you know, the I hate myself, I don't want to be here, I have to get drunk to do absolutely anything, I can't talk to anybody, I have no friends, you know, I burnt every bridge possible. Um, I've stolen, I've lied, I've cheated, I've, 
you know, like uh, one of my biggest things was I stole twenty dollars from my grandpa. Yeah, it's twenty dollars, but it's grandpa. It's grandpa. Like you know, like he wasn't. He was at church one day. And I was drunk, and I needed some more money, so I knew where he hid his key, so I went inside his house and took $20 out. And uh, that's something that I still think about all the time. And another one was he, uh, he took me out for lunch one day, and, you know, I was on a bunch of amphetamines, and I was too high to even eat. Like, I couldn't eat. And, uh, you know, he spent his money paying for food that I didn't eat, and I'm just like, oh, I'm sick classic i got a cold i'm not feeling well and it's just uh when i start thinking about that i start thinking about how i didn't surrender earlier but it was just i had it wrapped up in my mind that that's the way life was going to be that's the way i was going to live for the rest of my life um and it got to a point where i was kind of okay with that until it got worse and i'm like well it keeps on getting worse like every single day you know, it never gets better. It's a progressive disease. Um, we wind up in institution jails of death. And that's where I was going with my life was death. And one thing that really hurt me that sucked was my mom telling me she'd rather kill myself than keep on living the way I was living. But I understand what she means by now. You know, because the way I was living, she I made amends to her uh, the other day when she came into town. And she was like, you don't know what it's like to not know if your son's going to come back or not. If your son's going to wake up or if he's going to be in prison the rest of his life because of a drunk driving accident and he killed somebody else. And uh, she just broke down in tears, you know, and that's when it like really hit me why she said that. And um, like, I don't know, man. You know, my uh, my parents, my family, they never explicitly said that to me but i was told you know the don't don't come home for thanksgiving don't come home for christmas we can't stand to see you like this you know it was it was too hard for them to watch and now like finally being able to have like a little bit of clarity in my mind and be able to see things for what they are it's hard for me to see anybody even people that i don't know like personally go through this and to watch it happen with like how obvious it is, it was, it hurts to watch somebody go through it and somebody struggle. And I think about that all the time. It's like, how, how did I get here? And why didn't I do anything earlier? Mm-hmm. You know, there were so many times when I'd be sitting out on my balcony or I'd be sitting in my bed and I would, how many, how many times do you think you said in your head that you were going to quit? Well, every time every I drank. Every, <laughs> every time I like picked up day. a drink. People talk about relapse and shit like that, and I'm like, yo, uh, if relapse is going back on your attempts to stop drinking, then I relapsed 365 times last year. Because every single night I would say, you know, this is it. This is it. This, this is, is the last, last one. one. Yep. And it just, it never happened for me. It never happened until I made that final, like, just full act of desperation, of of leap of faith, saying, I need help. I can't do this. I'm going to die. You know, I had to get to a point in my life where I had zero value for my life and then have something wake up in me one day and say, you know, you need help. Your life does matter. 
mm-hmm. you know, that's, that was really that last, that jumping off point for me. And that's how I came to surrender. And I'm so glad I did. So if there's anything, any like small piece of advice that I know, it's like, if you think you have a problem, everybody else already knows you do. Yeah. Like straight up, ask for help. Take that first leap of faith. One of uh, like last thing before we before we close, there's a guy I went to Cumberland with. His name was Dylan. Great fucking dude. Kind of like didn't really fit in in rehab. Like he his life, you know. People talk about some people are sicker than others, and some people had to get hurt more in order to get to that point. Like he was a binge guy. He had you know a couple of bad bad weekends in a row that gave him like some real consequences and stuff and he showed up to rehab just to like figure out if he was an alcoholic or not mm-hmm. and I mean I can't commend that guy enough for doing that like that is that takes some balls to not have to like get to the point where you're waking up naked in a Wendy's yeah. and still saying you know my life is going downhill I want to do something about it and reaching out for that help that's something that I wish I did five years ago you know, so uh, appreciate everybody being on here, everybody for listening. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, yeah, we're be back I loved it. Next week, we'll come up with a topic somewhere between here and there. I'm thinking yeah, next Saturday. I'm thinking a little bit of willingness might have to come into my life. I might might have to be willing to do some things I don't want to do this week. So, yeah, let's talk about it. All right, thank y'all. If you don't thank already. You uh, go follow us on Instagram at Two Men in a Meeting, on TikTok at Two, Two Men in a Meeting. Two of them. And if you're picking up any chips this week, send us a DM and we'll be sure to shout y'all out at the end of the episode. And congratulations. And congratulations. Cherish the chips you hold. See ya. Doses. <laughs>